0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 tonight. Uh, We are continuing... This week in our series for Advent, it's called The Greatest Gift. Uh, Advent is traditionally the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's a time to focus our attention and our affection towards Jesus. We are remembering and celebrating the incarnation, which is a theological word that when it broke down, it basically means in the flesh. Okay? Uh, God didn't just send a representative into this world, this world that was broken and messy because of sin, He came himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal son. He came in the flesh to live a life of absolute perfection so that he could step in and offer himself as the unblemished lamb, the one and only sacrifice that could atone for the sins of the world. This opened the door for us to receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation by faith in Christ and also receive the gifts of true peace, eternal hope and real joy. Now we've already discussed the gifts of true peace and eternal hope that flow from who Jesus is. So this week we're going to see that real joy is only found in relationship with him. And now I'm being careful to say real joy, that's on purpose, because the joy The Bible talks about is much different from our idea of happiness. However, we tend to mistakenly mistakenly use these words uh, interchangeably. You see, joy is a divine attribute. It's something that we can taste and experience because we are made in God's image, uh, but we only get to taste and experience this joy of God if we are in reconciled relationship to him through Christ. Joy and happiness are different. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is immovable. Uh, Happiness comes and goes based on circumstances, our emotions, and our perceptions. In the book of Nehemiah, we hear that the joy of the Lord is actually our strength when we are tempted to despair. And so there's a big difference between the two. For followers of Jesus, happiness is like dessert, And joy is like air. Having dessert is nice, but having air is not an option. Amen. Um, I don't have time to unpack that distinction more tonight, but just keep that in mind as we journey together in God's Word this evening. Could say a lot more about that, but there's a lot more we want to cover. Um, So, The big case that we are making through this series is that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given or received, and we think by a long shot, okay? Um, Like nothing else even comes close. Uh, But to back up that claim and make sure we are giving other gifts a fair shake, doing a good comparison here, I've been sharing with you some of the hottest gifts of 2018 according to Amazon. So uh, week one, I told you about a very popular quesadilla maker selling a lot. On Amazon Uh, last week, there was a chai tea sampler assembled by Oprah herself, uh, which I saw some of you get on your phones and look for uh, as I was speaking, which I didn't appreciate, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) So this week we we have uh, another from this top ten list. It's called the Active Life LED Bike Wheel Lights. Bike wheel lights, okay. So here's the description of these LED bike wheel lights. Starts like this: Be cool. As seen on Fox, ABC, NBC, and CBS News, these LED bike wheel and frame lights from Active Life are the hottest new thing to hit SoCal and trend-setting cities across America. Your bike will turn heads, guaranteed. Okay, so pretty big deal here. Um, I wrote down some of the questions that people ask because you, know, you can't just trust the description. Of course, they're going to hype it up. Let's see what some of the questions are. What are consumers encountering or questions are they having as they uh, try to buy these? Okay, so question number one is, can you put these lights on a hoverboard? I think that was supposed to be hoverboard, but they want to know if you can put it on a hoverboard. Here was someone's answer. Someone took the time to say, I have no clue, as I have only used them on a bicycle. <laughs> Again, if I was on the tech team at Amazon, stuff like that would get deleted. Somebody is paying to keep that on their servers. I don't understand. Okay. There was another question from Courtney. Courtney said, will, will these lights work on stroller wheels? And in in brackets, it says, a high-end stroller... With real all caps, real air-filled tires. Like, <laughs> well, Courtney, aren't you and your baby fancy? <laughs> Jeez, nobody answered that one. I think everyone just knew to stay out of Courtney's way. Um, there's a. Uh, this, this is this is longer than I wish it was, but you, you got you got to hear this. One, a one star review from Stephanie. So again, this is, I don't know, and this is on the hottest gifts of 2018, but this, this review would maybe cast a shadow on that. It says this, this is from Stephanie. The box was nice, opened it and found a plastic bag with three batteries in the lights and a battery holder. It's kind of a no brainer to put batteries into a carrier. You take the carrier out of the battery holder, put the batteries in, return the carrier to the holder and you should be able to use the little light switch on the end to turn the lights on and off. This is so simple that they have a one-page instruction sheet. Okay, at this point, I'm thinking, Stephanie, your incredibly lengthy description of how to put the batteries in is not helping you review, not helping me as a potential consumer, but okay, it's added nothing. But so, so she gives us that. Then, then the problems start. Mine turn on as soon as I put the batteries in. Not only that, but the bottom of the holder gets so hot, it would burn you. That's a potential problem. What did she do? I contacted the manufacturer and they said to return it to Amazon and they would pay shipping and give me a 20% discount on future purchases. The quality of this product can be equated with garbage. I don't know why, I just found that line entertaining. Next she says, I'll never buy a product that is manufactured in China. And instantly I'm thinking, Stephanie, there's a great chance that whatever device you're typing out this review on, has components, at least, made in China. She says, and now I get accused by the owner of getting paid for putting in a one-star review. I'd want to get money from the devil before taking money for writing bad reviews. I'm like, whoa, Stephanie, we do not need to bring the devil into this, okay? This is some LED bike lights, and we just went all the way. We got Beelzebub involved. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Again, the point of that, if you forgot, is I don't think the LED bike lights, one of Amazon's hottest gifts of 2018, are putting any pressure on our claim that Jesus is the best gift ever given or received. So let's get away from that, go to the scriptures and see what the Lord has for us. Amen. Uh, Matthew 2, we're going to read verses 1 through Twelve. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the scriptures on the screen so we can all study God's word together. If you need a Bible, we always have tons of them for free. So let us know and we'll get you one. Okay, I'm in Matthew 2. Here we go. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the magi left for their own country... By another way. Praise God for his word. I know you guys like these. Pop quiz. How many wise men were there? The actual answer is we don't know. Traditionally, there's three. I was at a live nativity last night that had three guys with beards standing there. But if you read the text, I know there's three gifts. And so you could say, well, I think that's a strong inference. But we want to be careful. The Bible doesn't actually say. It could be anywhere from two to who knows. Could have been a 100 of them. The Bible doesn't actually tell us, so, and part of why I'm saying that is because last week I encouraged you to make sure we have more than a fuzzy recollection of the events surrounding this. It's very important, and so details like that matter, because if we very strongly come out of the gate with, yeah, there was three wise men, um, it kind of shows that maybe we haven't paid super close attention to what really is here. Tradition sometimes dictates that there's three wise men, but we don't know that for sure. Um, we also don't know for sure how old Jesus was at the time of this visit. I know it's, it's classically and traditionally uh, seen that the wise men are included in nativity scenes. I'm pretty sure they are the one in our house, almost positive, uh, but it's we, we we have to know that we can't really peg down Jesus' age at this point. You'll notice that when they got there, they said they went into the house. They didn't go into the stable. Uh, with travel time, we, we don't know. Jesus... We know that Herod ends up wanting to kill everyone under two, so it's possible that Jesus is up to two years old by the time these wise men uh, (NASB says magi) uh, get there, and bring these gifts, and and uh, are able to visit with Jesus and his mother. So, a couple of things for us to just be paying attention to there. Um, some of you were stoked on that. You're like, "Oh, he gave us an easy one this time." How many wise men are there? Yes, you you got you got to know. I'm always trying to pull something. Okay. Uh, We are focusing in on the fact that Jesus' birth is a gift to all mankind that brings real joy in a way nothing else possibly can. Okay, so let's read verse 10 again. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why did they rejoice exceedingly with great joy? I know I'm wearing that out, but it's important. Why is the language here? So strong, you can't express more vividly the joy these guys had as a result of seeing this star. Actually, the Greek here converted to twenty eighteen English would really be more accurately translated. These guys were turned all the way up. You won't find that in your lexicon. I had to do some extra work on that, but uh, you're welcome. But but here's the question, right? Why? Why? Why, were they, why did they rejoice exceedingly with great joy? It wasn't enough just to say they were happy. It wasn't just enough to say they rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? I want to make the case for you that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they knew who Jesus was. Okay, let's go to verse 2 again. We should be right here in the same... You may have to flip a page like I did, but it shouldn't be too far. Let's read verse 2. Okay, what did they come asking? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We aren't told how the wise men got their info, but somehow they knew the truth. Jesus was no ordinary baby. He was born a king. What is equally important to knowing the truth is responding to it appropriately. Uh, you'll remember, if you've been in James any recently, James said, "Be a don't be a hearer of the word only, but also a doer, or else you deceive yourself. I think oftentimes we, we struggle with that. Oftentimes we go seeking for some new enlightenment or additional knowledge that we think is going to help us kind of get over the hump of whatever we're struggling with, when many, many times our issue is not that we need some new revelation, some new enlightenment, uh, or, or, or some, you know, some, some bright idea that we haven't heard before. Many times what we need to do is just obey what we already know. Uh, and these guys did. They were reacting and responding to what they knew to be true. Now, let me read you verse 11. Hopefully you're still right in here. I'm going to read you verse 11. Here's how the wise men responded to what they knew about Jesus. Okay? Here's what it says. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped him. That is the first detail that stands out. This shows us that Jesus is not on par with earthly kings, but he inhabits a position even more prestigious. He is not only worthy of allegiance and loyalty, but worship. That's a whole other level. Now, there is also a prophetic tone to these gifts that are given. Gold was a metal fit for kings. Frankincense was used in priestly sacrifices, which points to Jesus' position as our high priest. The myrrh was used for embalming. Now, it may seem strange to give an expensive embalming ingredient to a small child, maybe even offensive, but it's not if that child was born with a mission to die so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. The premise here that I'm building is is that the reason the wise men rejoiced with exceedingly great joy is because they knew that Jesus was the King of kings. They knew they were witnessing the fulfillment of prophecy that they recited in verse 6. I'm going to go back to that. I'll end up probably reading this whole passage again by the time we're done, but that's okay. We like the scriptures. Okay, in verse six, these guys were citing prophecy. And in some of your Bibles, these will all be capitalized. That means it's pulling back from something in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, okay? Verse six: And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now remember that last week we talked about God's people, Israel. The descendants of Abraham, that, that's extended to all who have trusted the gospel by faith. Galatians says that plainly. I don't have time to go there again. Check out last week if, if you're not tracking with me on that. That means Jesus is not only king over one people group, but he's king over people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who have received the gift of salvation through faith in him. He is a king whose sovereignty extends beyond temporal national borders and even beyond time the reign of most kings ends at their death but when jesus allowed himself to be killed and rose from the grave it showed the never-ending nature of his sovereignty jesus kingship didn't end at his death amen the real joy that comes from knowing jesus only comes from knowing the real jesus Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the Messiah and judge of all the earth. But it is his kingship that is in focus as these wise men worship him and they give their gifts to him and they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. I want to submit to you that our joy, like these wise men, is tied directly to how much we see and acknowledge Jesus as King. The sovereignty of Christ can and should be for us an ever-flowing fountain, filling us with joy unspeakable, indescribable, and unstoppable. The kingship of Christ brings the gift of real joy to the world in at least three ways. I'm going to give those to you. Before I give you those three ways, let me address a potential barrier to receiving the precious truths that we're about to hear. Because you may be thinking, why do I need a king to have joy? You live in a time and place, it hasn't been that different throughout human history, but especially today. You live in a time and place that encourages, uh, almost demands autonomy. Demands that you go and be the real you and be real uh, to yourself, true to yourself, and be authentic. And what that means is that you don't uh, succumb to the restrictions that anybody would try to put on you, but you you got to look inside and find the real you and then obey that. And so you might be, you might be thinking, why, why do I need a king to have joy? You might be thinking, am, am, I, am I hearing him right? Is he saying I can only have real joy by acknowledging Jesus as king? Is he being that reductionistic? Is he, is he being that narrow? Really? That's the only way to true joy? And I just want to say, yes, you heard me right. Yes, the only way to joy, the way the Bible describes it, this real, deep, beautiful joy, is through acknowledging and rejoicing in the kingship of Christ. Let's not be naive. We were made to have a king. We were made to live under the perfect rulership of God. Now, sin got in the way of that. But that doesn't mean we all don't have a king. Because we all definitely do. It just becomes a question of who that king is. For some, their king is money. For some, it's sex. For some, it's food. For some, their king is self. But all these kings lead people to more brokenness and heartbreak. A king is supposed to lead you well and fight for you and love you. And Jesus is the only one who can do that perfectly. If you have a king other than Jesus, you will not taste the real joy that the Bible describes. You may bite into a counterfeit that looks delicious on the outside, but you'll invariably end up with a mouth full of gravel. So what is the first way that the kingship of Christ gives us real joy? The first way is that Jesus gives us a good king to serve. He gives us a good king to serve. One word can separate good kings from bad kings. That word is love. A good king will love his people and serve them. A bad king will use his people and serve himself. Now, just I want to put this out there. You can substitute the word king for leader, and what I just said holds true, by the way. So let me do that for you. One word can separate good leaders from bad leaders. That word is love. A good leader will love his people and serve them. A bad leader will use his people and serve himself. So the question is then, is Jesus a good king? I'm going to go to Philippians 2 to answer that starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I said something earlier about um, us needing to just do the things we already know as opposed to needing some new information. Um, just wanted you to keep that in mind while I'm reading this part. C- can I be real? Because there's a bunch of you out there struggling um, and you're just keeping grudges, man. There's a, and, and that would fix it. There's a bunch of you struggling and you're, you're, Jesus is just not first in your life. It's a lot more simpler sometimes than we make it. The things we know we're just not doing. And it's really painful to watch people struggle if they would and they already know what to do, they just won't do it. And they're scrambling and scratching and fighting to try to come up with some new answer. It's, it's really, most of the time, less complicated than we make it. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Boy, if we did that as the church, it'd be a lot harder to argue with people, wouldn't it? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Why did I read you all that? I'm answering the question, is Jesus a good king? Is Jesus a good king? Yes. There is real joy in knowing. Friends, hear me. There is real joy in knowing. You can give all of your heart and trust to your king, and you will never be disappointed by him. There is real joy in knowing your king doesn't say he loves you to get something from you, which shows you he loves you by giving everything for you. There's real joy in these simple truths about Jesus. And if we would cling to these, and if we would meditate on these, if we would let the beauty of these wash over us, our joy would be more full, and we would not clamor for temporal happiness with the passion that we sometimes do. Jesus is a good king. And because he's a good king, we can have joy. The second way that Jesus, through his kingship, gives us the opportunity for real joy is that he gives us a safe kingdom to abide in. He gives us a safe kingdom to abide in. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. I don't know if that means anything to you. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where things were spinning off the tracks and you didn't know what to do, but you ran to the name of Christ. You ran to the promises of Christ. You ran to the the standard and the truth of his word and you found comfort and safety there. I don't know if you've ever taken refuge in the shadow of the Almighty, but if you have, you know this resonates. This matters to you. If you haven't got to the point in your life yet where you've had to do that, dear friend, let me just tell you something. It's a beautiful thing that you have that option because of Christ, that, that he's, a, he's a king that guards the borders. He's a king that draws his people in close. And if you want to get to one of his kids and you got to get through him, guess what? You're not getting to him. He's the king of kings, the mighty one. You don't mess with him. Subsequently, it means you don't mess with his kids. Amen. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Thank God for that truth. Psalm 61.3 says, For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. We could have spent all day in the Psalms finding language like this that describes the defensive nature, the safety that the sovereignty of God provides for those who are within the borders of his kingdom. Beautiful truth. Psalm 61.3 three. Now, in Philippians 4, Paul gives some of the most beautiful encouragement about joy that can be found anywhere. Paul says, rejoice, I say it again, rejoice, be anxious for nothing. Then a few verses later, in verse 13, he writes this very famous line. Most of you have heard it, you may have seen it. Uh, on an athletic t-shirt at some point. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul's in this line of thought. He's talking about joy and rejoicing, being anxious for nothing. Get to verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, of course, that verse has been mutilated far more than many by being torn from its context. But the true point that Paul is making there is that he can persevere and have joy in any circumstance. You read the sentence before, he says, I can have a lot or I can have a little. doesn't matter. Ultimately, in all things, he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's, here's what I'm saying to you. There is a safety and a stability that comes with the joy of the Lord. But it only makes sense... If he is truly as powerful and sovereign as he says he is. The only way you can bank on this is if everything that God says about himself is true. If he really is this mighty and he really is this loving and he really is this interested in caring for his children. Praise God those things are true. When you have the joy of the Lord, that is not a temporal happiness, but it's, it's, it's a part of God's very divine nature that he shares with us. It's, it's not an emotion. It's not even affected by your emotions. Joy is something we can have. As Paul describes here, I can do all things and in every situation because of Jesus. We can rejoice when our health is not perfect because Jesus is a healer. But if he doesn't heal us, The worst that can happen is we die, which for those who will be in eternity with him is also simultaneously the best thing that can happen. He's not only the Lord of the living, but the Lord of the dead. And so we need not live in the instability that comes with fearing death. Many people live an unstable life emotionally and in every other way. Because ultimately, if you could really dig down, they actually, they still fear death. They still are scurrying to try to insulate themselves from this thing that they fear, the finality of death. But it's not a finality at all. It's simply stepping into the reality for which we were created. Uninhibited relationship. Uninhibited access to God, our Father. Amen. We can rejoice when our finances are busted because our God owns all the gold in the hills and the cattle on top. We don't have to have careers and jobs as kings. Praise God for that. Because those things come and go. Our king is a faithful provider and we can trust in him to give us what we really need. Amen. We can rejoice in any difficulty because our king's reign and rule is not limited. We don't have to fear that maybe he can't help us with this one, whatever this one is. And when we believe and we think that way, when we don't have to fear those things, that leads to a kind of stable and unshakable joy that we were made for. There's a safety and a stability that comes in being a part of God's kingdom. And because of that safety and stability, we, our joy is not coming and going. It's not ebbing and flowing. It's a constant. That is God's call for us. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wish somebody that needs that would grab that, believe it, and live it. Amen. I saw this practically this week. Um, (laughs) My daughter Lucy is eight, and um, this we've been pretty blessed. I mean, their first year, year and a half, our kids were terrible sleepers. Um, Natalie suffered more from that than I did, because normally when I'm asleep, I'm kind of like a polar bear that found a hole, and that's about it. Um, Something real bad has to happen to shake me, but... Uh, the older I get, that changes too. So hopefully that's not boding of things to come. But anyways, Lucy's eight and she comes rolling into our bedroom earlier this week. And uh, it was one of those like nightmarish situations, right? Where you wake up and there's just somebody standing there. And she was right there. It was like, okay, all right. <laughs> and uh, she was there because she'd had uh, a bad dream. Some, my son's name is Max and he's uh, five. And in her dream, like half his face was peeling off or something crazy. So I get it. Like that is scary. And, you know, who knows? So she climbs in bed. She's on Natalie's side. And uh, so kind of drifting back off. And, and she's over there wiggling. So that's got Natalie moving and rustling. And I can feel somehow through the sheets her blood pressure going up. And so I'm like, okay. So I grab my pillow and my blanket. I'm like, come on, babe. We're going to your bed. Let's go. And uh, so here we go. So we go there. And, uh, you know, she's <laughs> her bed's a kid bed. And I'm a pretty big dude, so this was not the greatest situation. So she gets in first, and I kind of gingerly lay on it. I'm like, this ain't going to hold me okay, it seems like it, yes. So we struggled through the night and uh, got to the next morning. And the next night, um, she had a lot of anxiety even going in. She was afraid she was going to have a bad dream. So you know what that creates, right? And so, of course, we prayed with her through all this. We've talked to her and talking to her about Jesus being with her and all that, and and uh, it's it's helping, it's 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 touching the thing and it's bringing her out of kind of the tailspin of of the way she's feeling. But um, you know, there's there's still that remnant of kind of just that's that's a tough experience when you're eight and you know you're having bad dreams. It's a bad deal. So the next night there was she struggled sleeping again, and then and so the next day I was I was just praying about that and asking God for wisdom, and and I. I'm not going to say the Lord told me but this idea came up in my mind and heart and I didn't don't think I came up with it but I think the Lord gave it to me was to to write out a prayer for her that she could keep with her and then if she woke up in the middle of the night and had, had a bad dream and I so I wrote this prayer out and I read it to her we read it together and I said, "Okay, I'm going to give you a flashlight. We're going to keep this prayer right next to your bed. If you have a bad dream, you wake up and you feel anxious, I want you to turn the flashlight on and and you can read this prayer and if it doesn't if right away you don't begin to you know feel more peace you can you can read that prayer again and of course you don't have to say this exactly like daddy wrote it but you know this is a guide for you but i want you to before you jump up and come into mom and daddy's room i want you to try to deal with this with Jesus and trust him and so uh that night she goes to bed we set that up and it's sitting there and i guess what had happened is um even before she was going to sleep she's feeling anxious again you know maybe she was going to have the same kind of dreams and so she took the thing out and and she read that prayer and prayed it a couple of times and uh and went to sleep and so the next morning as soon as my feet hit the floor she was coming to see me she's like dad i was feeling that way again last night before i even went to sleep and i i read that prayer and most of the time i wake up in the middle of the night sometimes not even if i have a bad dream i just wake up i didn't even wake up all night made it through the whole night and and the prayer that I wrote was just so simple. Like, dear Jesus, thank you for promising to be with me and thank you for protecting me. Thank you that I don't have to be afraid because you've said you'll always be with me. I'm paraphrasing. I wasn't, maybe wasn't exactly, those were the elements though. Just thanking Jesus for being our protector. And, and I'm just saying, guys, that uh, this is real. I think, I think Jesus really showed up and met my daughter because she, for several nights, was, was really struggling. There was a lot of like real anxiety there for her. And in, in praying that prayer in faith, Not only did she not have bad dreams, she didn't even wake up in the middle of the night. And so I'm just saying that Jesus does care about us having the stability and safety of knowing that when we are his, there is really no reason to fear. There really isn't. There is real joy and stability that comes from knowing our king keeps us safe in his kingdom. That is a real source of joy. I hope it's a source of joy for you. The third way that Jesus' kingship gives us the opportunity for real joy is that he gives us an eternal kingdom to build. He gives us an eternal kingdom to build. There is no way you can work in this world without the potential that your efforts are being wasted. Any company can collapse. Any product can go out of favor with the public. Oftentimes, it's corruption and greed that leads to the downfall of many. Heck, I mean, even if you work for yourself, you can't be sure that your motives aren't jacked or whatever business you're building won't ultimately underperform, right? This is true of people even who work in ministry as their job as well. There's a new story every week of a ministry leader without proper safeguards in place, disqualifying themselves from ministry in various ways, often to the detriment of not only themselves and their family, but the ministry they were a part of. The point that I'm making here is, if you really think about it, there's not much safety in any earthly endeavor. <laughs> there is, there is, I'm going to go so far as to say there's no earthly endeavor that you can be 100% sure won't crumble into dust in the end. But not a single minute of time, ounce of talent, or dollar of treasure that we invest in building God's kingdom will ever be wasted. This is because God's kingdom isn't about acquiring territory. It's not built with bricks and mortar. The kingdom of God is built upon the cornerstone of Christ and his gospel, and it is not measured in miles, but it is measured by how many eternal souls have been rescued from slavery in the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to read you... Something from the end of, we're in the beginning of Matthew, now I'm reading something from the end of Matthew. It should sound familiar. This is Jesus addressing his disciples right before he ascends. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, this is the command of our king. This is what he's called us to do. This is what building his kingdom looks like. There is no joy in life without purpose. And there is no greater purpose than joining King Jesus in building his kingdom. When you love people and you share the gospel with them and you pay the price to walk with them and disciple them, you are building God's kingdom and that kingdom will never, ever end. The only thing you can invest in that's going to last for eternity, friend, is people. May we remember that as we balance out and measure the way we're going to exert effort, time, energy, resources in our lives. The only thing we can pour into that is still going to be here when all is said and done is people. I praise God, and I have joy today that I have a purpose beyond just meandering through this life answering whatever the call of the culture is, being pushed by whatever is driving uh, everybody else just floating along, I'm thankful that we have eternal purpose because we have an eternal king. He's called us to love people, to make disciples, to preach the gospel in word and deed. Praise God. Praise God for this call that means we are never found without purpose. It means we can taste and experience the joy that comes and being a part of something much bigger than we could ever be a part of on our own. Thankful that the gospel brings us together and gives us a work, gives us a job, a mission that binds us, allows us to respond properly to those scriptures from earlier in Philippians. The only way we're ever going to do nothing from empty conceit and we're going to consider one another more important than the other and we're going to drop petty foolishness that so often catches our attention. The only way that's going to happen is when the eternal nature of this kingdom and this mission that we are a part of really strikes us to the core of our being. Petty stuff just doesn't matter when you realize there are people every day walking by you that if today was their last, eternity for them would not be with the God that made them but separated from him. We don't have time to be petty when that's the stakes. And that's what we're dealing with. We don't have time to be distracted. We don't have time to waste time. Well, that was real deep. I don't care if it's deep. I'm just trying to tell you the truth right now. We cannot play, man. His kingdom is eternal. We're called to be a part. He said we are ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. Jesus did his part. And now he's walking with us while we do our part. Let's get after it, church. Let's shed every weight, every encumbrance, every silly thing that would slow us down for one second from fulfilling exactly what it is Jesus has called us to do and made us for. Whether or not we experience the real joy the Bible describes is not determined by where we were born, what we feel, or why we struggle. There is one factor that determines whether or not we have real joy. It is who our king is. Don't forget, dear friend, you have a king. No, I don't. I rule myself. You just told me who your king is. It's you, and you're a terrible king because you weren't made to be the king. You're made to serve the king and find the joy that comes in being his. Praise God like those wise men long ago, may we fall down in worship and pour out all the gifts we have at the feet of King Jesus for his glory and our joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you that the journey of these magi, these wise men was recorded for us. Thank you that we got to see Not only what they knew, but how they responded to what they knew. God, help us in like kind to not know things but not act upon them. God, if we are honest, please receive our repentance because we are prone to be hearers and not doers. We are prone to think we need some new solution. We are prone to be foolish in this way, and God, we don't want to. We want to obey you. We want to do the simple, the first things you've taught us. God, help us not abandon those. Please help us walk in your wisdom. Lord God, we thank you for the truth that Jesus was born a king, that he is the king of every king. Thank you. Those wise men recognize that. God, help us recognize it. Help us live as if it's true. Lord, I ask for those that maybe struggled with the premise that Their joy is tied to who their king is. God, I ask that you would continue by the power of your spirit to connect those dots for them. God, may all of us joyfully receive the beautiful truth that we do have a rightful king and that it's you. It's not us. It's not jobs. It's not any of the other foolish distractions, false kings that would try to rise up and demand our allegiance. God, help us. Help us see the reason they rejoice with exceedingly great joy is because they knew the king had come. They knew that there was safety in your sovereignty. God, I ask for supernatural stability to mark every single person that's a part of Love City Church. God, I ask that joy would be ours in its fullness, not just so that we feel better, but God, so that we can reflect to the world what it looks like to be a part of this good kingdom, to bow our knee to this good king. Thank you that you are our provider and our protector. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you haven't brought us into your kingdom, God, just to sit around and wait for your triumphant finish to the show. But thank you, God, you've drafted us into your army. You've called us your soldiers. You've made us ambassadors. You've brought us into your kingdom, but you've sent us back out to tell the good news of your gospel to as many people as possible. Lord, please help us not take that lightly. We are so distracted. There are so many things pulling for our attention. There are so many ways, God, that we are tempted to abandon your mission and, and pick up our own. But God, may we taste and see again the beauty and the joy that comes in being on the one mission we were made for, which is to go into all the earth, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to love every single person we get a chance to. God, help us do these things in your name and for your glory. We need your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission.